we have been um, we have taken a break from doing uh, sermon series, uh, which we'll get back to in time. Um, last week we looked at the fact that every member is a minister, and it is a great reminder, isn't it? We need to be reminded um, of our responsibility as as members in the local church. Um, today, I want to just remind you again um, of what true prosperity is. So um, we're going to look at Third John. Third John. Third John has just one chapter, and this one chapter is made up of. 15 verses. We're going to look at all of those verses um, under the subject of true prosperity. True prosperity. Before we do that, let us uh, take this time and present it to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, We thank you for your words that are ever true, your words that continue to transform our lives, to change us from one form to another, to prepare us for glory on that last day, to stand before you as a people that are complete, that are fit to stand before you. We we thank you that your word continues to shape us, your word continues to sanctify us, it continues to teach us the truth about you, the truth about ourselves and how we should relate to you and how we should relate to one another. Continue, Lord, to speak to us, to teach us your truth. And may we be a people, Lord, that are humble enough to admit your truth and to um, walk in it. In the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. True prosperity. Now, the word prosperity is a word that is uh, very prevalent, isn't it? Um, it's, it's a word that many, many people know, but uh, we hardly know it from a biblical perspective because the prosperity gospel has hijacked the word um, to mean that the birthright of a Christian is to have uh, perpetual health, to have a fat bank account, to uh, be prosperous in material possessions. But when you read the Bible, uh, which, by the way, the prosperity gospel preachers, they bank on the fact of the ignorance of God's people. The, the, the only reason they are successful in, in, the, uh, in, 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 in their spread of this belligerent doctrine that they preach is because of the ignorance of God's people of God's word. Right? People are ignorant of God's word, or are ignorant of God's word. If we were to spend time in the Word of God and study the Word of God, we will realize and come to a conclusion that the prosperity gospel is a concept that is foreign in the Bible. Our church, every Sunday, we 
pray for Christians who are being persecuted. Today we praying, we prayed for Libya. And you heard about Libya, the, the, the violence that Christians are experiencing there. Imagine if you were to sit down with a Libyan Christian, these people who know that me, uh, you know, declaring my allegiance to Christ might mean the next day losing my job, might mean my death. And you tell them that your birthright as a Christian is to be prosperous, is to be uh, perpetually healthy, and to have material possessions in abundance in this world. What do you think Christians in Afghanistan, Christian, Christians in North Korea, Christians in Somalia would, would really um, take you to be serious, to be preaching the gospel of the Bible? One of the main texts that the prosperity gospel preachers use to support their belligerent doctrine is to be found in, 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 in 3 John verse 2. This is what uh, 3 John says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health and as it goes well with your soul. And so they, they use this and say that it, it is God's, uh, it, it is God's um, will for God's children to be prosperous materially, to be healthy. They ignore the fact that the, the, the apostles and many Old Testament prophets, not to mention Jesus himself, were poor and persecuted. The, the, the proponents of this false teaching brazenly appeal to the greed and selfishness of their spiritually naive audiences. They are those of whom Paul wrote in First uh, Timothy chapter six, verse five, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. If these false teachers would bother to read Third John, uh, uh, verse two. Carefully, they would see that it really pronounces a curse and not a blessing on them. John is praying for his friend here, Gaius, that he would prosper to be and be in good spiritual health to the same degree as his soul is actually as his soul was actually prospering. It's worth thinking deeply about if someone prayed that for you would it be a blessing to you or would it would it you would you need to call the paramedics at the very least it's dangerous when a christian's material prosperity listen to me carefully it's dangerous when a christian's material prosperity gets ahead of his spiritual prosperity when we are rich materially but we are poor spiritually Paul warned in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, listen to what Paul says, he says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, listen to this, some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The apostle said, 
Apostle John said, when you look at verse 4, I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. Not, not, he's not saying, I have no greater joy than this, that to, to hear that my children are prospering financially. He was talking about his spiritual children, of course. But the Christian parents, uh, and please listen to me carefully, Christian parents should be able to say about their children that their greatest joy is to hear that their children are walking in the truth. Sadly, I've known of Christian parents who are ecstatic, who get excited when their children land top-paying jobs, but they don't seem to be as happy if the children decide to be missionaries. They don't get excited when the child says, I want to be a missionary, I want to reach out to the believers in Libya. Our main prayer for our children and for every Christian should be that they have prosperous souls. That they be marked by true prosperity. John describes for us here the prosperous soul. The, 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 the person who has true prosperity. And we see this, that, that the person marked by true prosperity, first of all, walks in the truth and love, submits to apostolic authority, and imitates godly examples. Imitates godly examples. Like Second John, the, this one-page letter was written from the elder, whom uh, biblical scholars uh, um, agree that it is John the Apostle. But unlike 2 John, which I believe was written to a local church, 3 John is written to an individual. His name is Gaius. We know nothing about this man or the other two individuals mentioned in this letter except what we learn here. Let's read Third John. The elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it is well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and push them out of the church. 
Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is, is, is from God. Whoever does evil is, has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. This is God's word. Now, as I said, that he's writing to Demetria, to, 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 to Gaius. Gaius was a faithful Christian leader in the local church that was under the care of the Apostle John. In this church, a self-willed, power-hungry man, Diotrephus, had grabbed power. He openly attacked the authority of the Apostle John. He denied hospitality to traveling Christian workers. And he even excommunicated those who defied him by offering hospitality to these workers. Gaius, however, to this point, had resisted the bullying tactics of Diotrephus. He had given hospitality and financial support to these traveling missionaries. John encourages Gaius to continue doing so, and he commends him to Demetrius, who was probably the one who would deliver the letter to, to him. John assures Gaius here that he will deal publicly with Diotrephus when he visits the church in the near future. And I'm sure that it would be interesting, wouldn't it, to get the front uh, seat takers to watch the fireworks when that happens. The three characters named in the book here, Gaius, Diotrephus, and Demetrius, they provide us with three key three keys to pursuing true prosperity. Three keys to pursuing true prosperity. Look at the first one. True prosperity is seen by walking in truth and love. This is the example of Gaius. We see it in verses 1 to verse 8. True prosperity is seen by walking in truth and love. As, as in all John's writing, truth is a central concept in Third John. He, mentioned, he mentions it twice in verse 1 and verse 3, in verse 4, verse 8, and verse 12, plus the word true again in verse 12. As we've seen, John's greatest joy was to hear of his children's spiritual, um, his spiritual children walking in the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. That, that, that is the thing that brought him joy. Why did this aged apostle hammer on the truth so often? Why did he focus so much on the truth? Well, one of the reasons was that he was the last living apostle and he saw numerous errors creeping into the church. Right? And also, the, the, the Lord Jesus had repeatedly emphasized the truth in his earthly ministry. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 14, we are told uh, uh, that John testifies about Jesus that he was full of truth and grace. 
In John chapter 3, verse uh, 21, John says, He who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. In John chapter 4, verse 3, 23, and 24, Jesus explained that the Father seeks those who will worship him in truth and spirit. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus claimed that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 17, as the Spirit of truth. He prayed in John chapter 17, verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Jesus told the skeptical uh, uh, Pontius Pilate in John chapter 18 verse 37 saying to him for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth and everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So, so truth was a huge emphasis in Jesus's ministry. And therefore, too, in the life and ministry of the Apostle John. And contrary to the idea that there is no absolute truth in the spiritual realm, the Bible clearly affirms that there is theological and moral truth and error. This truth centers in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the God of truth in human flesh. Since God is the author of truth, whereas Satan is the father of lies, God's people must know and obey the truth as revealed in God's word. Gaius prospered in his soul because he walked in the truth, verse 3. Also, those who had visited Gaius reported back to John of Gaius's love before the church. How amazing is that? How amazing is that, brothers and sisters, that those who speak about you in your absence speak in this way. They testify of the fact that you are walking in truth, that you have love for the believers. They, 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 they testify of this. And, and we've seen truth and love that they always go together. They must go together. They are never to be separated. Gaius's good example teaches us four things about these essential virtues, truth and love. <clears throat> First of all, to walk in the truth implies knowing the truth. To walk in the truth implies the fact that you know the truth. Gaius didn't accidentally stumble on the path called truth and just accidentally stayed on it. No one in this world, under the dominion of the father of lies and deceit, walks in the truth accidentally. It requires deliberate effort and purpose both to understand the truth and to walk in it. The, the, the huge emphasis on truth in John's writing teaches us that truth matters. Truth matters. How a person thinks about God, how a person thinks about man, about salvation and life determines how that person lives. 
A person with, with false concepts in these areas will live differently than the person with a biblical view in these important areas. Since Jesus himself is the truth, and since God's word is truth, Satan works overtime to undermine the truth about the person and work of Christ and the truth of God's inerrant word. What was the first thing that Satan, came, Satan did when he came to, to, Eve and, uh, to Adam and Eve? He started to question the word of God, didn't he? Did God really say? He, he didn't want clarity. He, he wanted to, to cast aspersions on God's word. He wanted to cast doubt into the heart of Eve. Did God really say? And isn't that what we see even in our, in our day? That, that people are trying to play gymnastics around the word of God. The things that are clear in God's word, they say, God didn't really mean this. As long as people love each other, isn't that what they say? God they really didn't mean this. Satan is always on an all-out attack against God's truth. He's trying to undermine the truth of God. But, but there's also a danger, brothers and sisters, as we grow in our knowledge of the truth. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If Satan can't prevent us from knowing the truth, then he tries to get, up, to get us puffed up with pride over how much we know and how others don't know as much as we know. We would be wrong to conclude that as a response to that, we should remain ignorant so that we stay humble. No, that's not the case. But we should always remember that anything we know of the truth is only because of God's grace. If he had not been gracious, we would still be in spiritual blindness. You see, we, we don't grow in truth so that we can show others how much or how less they know. Right? Truth, brothers and sisters, let me say this. Truth and truth about God should be the truth that motivates and inspires us to drop down on our knees and worship to God. Not for us to stretch our theological muscles and vice grip those who don't know anything. Secondly, what we learn from, from this is to walk in truth implies growth in the truth. A person who's walking in the truth, who's really walking in the truth, by the way, they will grow in the truth. Twice in verses 3 and verses 4, John mentions walking in the truth. He, he does not say that we should sit and rest in the truth, but rather we should walk in it. Walking implies steady movement in a purposeful direction. It requires discipline and effort. Walking is not as quick as running. But if you keep at it, walking will get you where you're going. After warning about the danger of being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, 
Peter commands us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, saying, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow. You will not grow in the knowledge of Christ by accident. Right? It never happens by accident. You must purpose to, to walk in the truth. Starting to learn and apply God's truth in your daily life. Thirdly, growth in the truth should always result in love. Growth in the truth should always result in love. As we've seen, truth and love are not opposed to one another. James John affirms in verse 1 that he loves Gaius in truth which means in the sphere of the truth about Jesus Christ. In verse 6, he affirms that Gaius, who is walking in the truth, is also known for his love. What are you known for? What are you known for? You know, people love gossiping, right? When they gossip about you, what is the one thing that they would gossip about? Right? Would it be sanctified gossip? I don't know if there's such a thing. Would they say, if you knew how that person is full of love, how they love the Lord? What are you known for? So, often when people who are big on truth, unfortunately, they use it as a hammer to hit behind the head those who don't know um, and don't agree with them. I see these days, you know, young, young people, and I love, I love it, I love to see it. Young people are, are really getting acquainted with Reformed theology and, and they are just on fire for, for Jesus Christ. They are serving. But there's this thing that I'm recognizing that you know, it's like they are always fighting with everyone. Anyone who does not agree with them receives the, 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 the crown of a heretic. It's not supposed to be like that, brothers and sisters. Truth should not make us so prideful to think that anyone who disagrees with us, especially those who are Christians, I'm not talking about those who are deliberately deceiving God's people. Truth should not do that. Or there are those who emphasize love. They are usually soft on the truth. They end up being nice when they need to stand up for the truth. But since God is the God of truth and love, godly people will be characterized by both love and truth. You see, sometimes love requires confronting a person who is theologically and in moral error as well. Presumably, Diotrephus, the, the guy that we will be learning about as well, did not teach errors um, of the heretics. He was not a heretic. Or John, if he was a heretic, John would have said something about that. But Diotrephus was a self-serving, unloving man. And John hits him very hard for these sins. 
we, we must assume that the apostle john was acting in love towards this sinning man and of course love not only confronts sin but fourthly love manifests itself in practical good deeds it manifests itself in practical good deeds a, a delegation that returned from visiting gaius had testified of his love they they spoke about how gaius was so loving gaius had welcomed them into his his home even though they were they had been strangers to him before their visit he had he had treated them in a manner worthy of god when they left he loaded them with supplies for their journey and with money for their mission work his love was not just talk right he he, he put his 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 money where his mouth was It showed itself in treating others as he himself would wish to be treated. Being hospitable is one qualification of being an elder. And when you look at qualifications of an elder in 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 First Timothy chapter three verse two and Titus one verse eight, elders are to be hospitable people. But all believers are commanded to pursue hospitality as well. You see, hospitality is not just for the elders. The elders are not just to be the ones who show hospitality. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding like a broken record again. But uh, believers are called to pursue hospitality. Romans chapter 12 verse 13. We are to be people, according to Titus chapter 2 verse 14, who are zealous for good deeds. We are not dragging our feet when it comes to good deeds. We are zealous. Biblical love isn't just feeling the warm fuzzies right it's practical it is displayed in good deeds john writes of these missionaries in verse 7 he says about them for they have gone out for the sake of the name accepting nothing from the gentiles the, these missionaries were not peddling the word of god they, they, they receiving donations from unbelievers that they were seeking to reach this is crazy, right? I see people just planting, you know, going out with tents um, to, to evangelize. Hey, that's their goal. They say that we are going to evangelize. After that, there's taking offering from unbelievers that you're trying to reach. These missionaries had gone out to reach unbelievers. And they were not taking anything from them. But they were giving them the word. John says in verse 8 that God's people should support such workers and in doing so we become fellow workers with the truth of the gospel that they proclaim. One, one, one practical way for you to show Christ's love by good deeds is to help support missionaries who go out for the sake of his name. The, 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 the person who is marked by true prosperity walks in the truth and in love. Secondly, the person who is marked by true prosperity is marked by submission to apostolic authority. We see the bad example of Diotrephus here in verse 9 and verse 10. Look at verse 9 and verse 10. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring him up 
I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Diotrephes did not submit to the apostolic authority. He did not accept what, what John said in verse 9. Rather than being a prosperous person, true, having true prosperity, he was an impoverished soul. His negative examples give us four characteristics of an impoverished soul that we need to avoid if we want to have true prosperity. First of all, an impoverished soul loves to be first. An impoverished soul loves to be first. Diothrephus, according to verse 9, Paul says, John says about him, he says he's Diothrephus who likes to put himself first. This sentence explains in a few ways the reason for the majority of church problems down through history. People who want to be first. As I said, Diotrephus' theology was sound. He was not a heretic. If he had been a heretic, John would have condemned him as a heretic. His problem was not his theology, but rather his personal ambition and pride that led him to even oppose the Apostle John. He, pro- his, he, he, he probably had the reasons for his op- opposition. He, he, maybe he said to, 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 to the church, you know, John doesn't understand the, 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 the danger of welcoming teachers into the church. We, we need to maintain pure doctrine here. We, 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 we don't need any kind of errors this man may bring in. John is just a senile old man uh, who means well, but he's gone soft in his old age. Follow me. Don't receive these teachers into your homes. If you do, we will put you out of the church. Diophrephus might have had the truth, but the only person he loved was himself. He had the, the, the unholy trinity. He loved the unholy trinity. Me, myself, and I. It was all about me, myself, and I. You see, when adult men and women prefer themselves above others in the local church, it creates friction among the flock. There will never be unity in the church if the the, the most important person is yourself. Last week I I spoke about that acronym JOY, Jesus, others, yourself. Secondly, we learn that a, an impoverished person, an impoverished soul, uses gossip and slander to run down his opponents. Diotrephus unjustly accused John and his dele- delegates with wicked words. He prevented these traveling teachers from the church because he wanted to be the sole authority and leader of the church. He wanted everyone to look up to him, not to Jesus. He threatened, uh, it threatened him if people learned from others. He, he just wanted to be the only one people learned from. And so he used gossip and slander to criticize even the Apostle John. Gossip is sharing information which may be true 
with those who have no business hearing it. The, the gossip uses it to, bol- to bolster his own status. He's in the know. He knows things, right? Or he uses it to prejudice people against someone. Slender, on the other hand, is using partial truth or flat-out lies to damage someone's reputation. Often the slanderer will say something that is partly true so that he can claim that he spoke the truth. But it was not the whole truth. And sharing it misled others to believe that some to believe something false about that person. By the way, the name devil, Diabolos, means slanderer. So it is a serious thing. In other words, when you participate in slander, you are embodying the devil himself. Thirdly, what we learn about an impoverished soul is that an impoverished soul uses relationships for power. This man, Diotrephus, did not receive the brethren and he forbade them from receiving the, the brethren too. And those who did not listen to him, he put them out of the church. Why didn't Diotrephus welcome these godly Christian workers? Well, because he did not value people and relationships. Rather, rather he used people to build and protect his power base. If you didn't go along with him, he would force you out of the church. And no doubt under the pretense of keeping the church pure. That's exactly how the world operates. The way they, they, they move up in the world is to build a relationship with powerful people. Right? To know people who know people. To be in the in circle. You, you do favors for them so that they owe you in return. You, you play one person off of another all in an attempt to put yourself in a powerful position. But it leads to poverty of soul, not to prosperity of soul. Fourthly, the impoverished person bullies others through intimidation. Bullies others through intimidation. If people in the church didn't agree with Diotrephus, he bullied them into compliance, or he didn't put, or he he put them out of the church. He had the power to do it. It was church politics at at its worst here. Again, how like the world? Jesus says about the world in Mark chapter ten, verse twenty, verse forty-two to to forty-four. He says, "Those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them." And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, listen to this, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Positively, true prosperity is marked by walking in truth and love submitting to apostolic authority which is which we have now in the new testament right as as the word of god seeking to serve rather than to be served thirdly and lastly true prosperity is marked by 
imitating godly examples listen to that carefully true prosperity is marked by imitating godly examples we we see this with the example of Demetrius right verses 11 to verse 12 in verse 11 john again addresses gaius exhorting him not to imitate what is evil the bad example of diotrephus but rather what is good the positive example of demetrius whether diotrephus was a genuine believer or not we cannot tell although john says the one who does evil has not seen god but diotrephus was in the role of a leader of a christian church he must have had some sort of following or else john would not have written this warning the point is we all need godly examples to follow don't we but when we must be careful in choosing those examples even those who are recognized christian leaders may not be good examples to follow how do you discern whether a person is worth imitating or not look at the fruit of the spirit in his or her character look at his deeds are they in line with the fruit of the spirit or the deeds of the flesh then then look at the person's reputation in the case of Demetrius everyone testified that he was a godly man everyone it obviously means everyone in general here the Diotrephus, I'm sure would have testified of Demetrius's uh, uh, good character or deeds but those who are working with God will agree about a godly character of a godly man also John says the truth itself bore witness to Demetrius's good character this means that his life was consistent with the character qualities and moral standards of God's word rather than being domineering as Diotrephus was uh, Demetrius was a a humble servant rather than being self-centered he practiced biblical love Um, and further John added his testimony to Demetrius's godly character if he walks if a man walks with god other godly leaders will acknowledge that fact when you find such godly role models imitate them as i've said before i have found more spiritual help um, by reading biographies of godly men and women than any other source outside the bible itself i love biographies and none of of them were were perfect of course uh, but all of them have shown me in practical ways what it means to walk in the truth of god's word and i highly recommend that you read the lives of these great saints from the past we we can have a chat about which biographies you can read Uh, there's so much to gain from from reading about the lives of godly people let me conclude by telling you a story there was a multi-millionaire who wanted to be buried in his most expensive car which was a Cadillac so when he died the undertakers dug an enormous grave and placed the, 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 the Cadillac on a huge lowering device they dressed the, the corpse in his sportiest clothes put a cigar in his mouth seated him behind the steering wheel and set the, speedo- the, the speedometer on on 80 kilometers per hour the mourners gathered around the grave observing all the spectacle as 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 they as the unusual coffin was slowly sunk into the ground 
to the appropriate words of committal, a millionaire friend of the deceased uh, man brushed a tear from his eye and sighed to himself, man, that's living. But of course it's not living, right? It's death. No matter how you dress it. True prosperity is not to live as a multimillionaire and be buried in your Cadillac. True prosperity is to be rich toward God. True prosperity is to have a prosperous soul. The, the, the way to that eternal prosperity is to walk in the truth and in love, to submit to apostolic authority as revealed in the word of God, and to imitate godly examples. Then it may be said of you, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And your pastors will have great joy to hear that you're walking in the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we want to thank you. Thank you for your word. How the world tries to glorify a different standard that is foreign from your word. May we not be charmed by the deceitfulness of the world. May we always go back to your word, to be shaped by what your word says. What your word says a true prosperous person looks like. People that walk in the truth and in love. People that submit to your word. And people that honor you in everything. Glorify your name through us, O God, even as we heard your word. Shape us by it. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.